Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Bookburners, Season 3, Episode 6. Sal dialed Asante as soon as they could find a private nook free from curious ears. She filled the archivist in on breaking events as quickly as she could. That's bad, Asante said slowly. Very bad. What happens if we don't complete the deal? Sal asked slowly. It was sealed at the market last year, so if you don't conclude your part in it... Well, a lot of things happen, and none of them are pleasant. First, the Swede will be angry with you, and he's not much on his own, but his family isn't to be trifled with. We'd be disinvited from the market forever, of course. And we'd all fall under the market's curse, which is no picnic. Tell me about this curse. I'd really rather not. Just try to fix the problem. What if I can't find the chess pieces? Maybe he'll take something else in trade. A year of your life, an hour of sorrow. Give him anything he wants. I'll find a way to repay you. Says the woman who wouldn't be trading over a year of her life. I would if I were there, Sal. You were never supposed to be in this position. I'm sorry. Sal spared a few uncharitable thoughts for Cardinal Fox, without whom Asante would be in the mess she had created. I'll see if we can talk him down, buy another year, sub in another chess set. There is no other chess set. Then is there anything you can do to help me find the lost pieces? I'm sorry, Asante said. I wish it were different, but you're on your own. Four. The society's dedicated hospital room in the Vatican had become all too familiar to Menchu over the years. He spent plenty of time there himself though not recently, and he was keenly aware of the troubles the room held. Pain, of course, boredom, a sense of powerlessness. The worst of them all was the loneliness, and so he made a point of visiting frequently whenever one of his team was admitted. Sometimes he needed the visit and the reassurance more than they did. Liam was swaddled in white gauze and unexpectedly not gazing at a screen. Instead, he stared at the drop ceiling, brow furrowed. Am I interrupting? Menchu asked. He set down his gift on Liam's table. It was a box of pretty macaroons. Menchu wasn't sure if Liam would eat them, but it was better than coming empty-handed. Liam jumped at the sound of Menchu's voice. Yeah, my schedule's jam-packed, he answered. You should have called ahead to my secretary. I'll do that next time. 
Father, I've been thinking. Let's say that you've done some things you didn't mean to, and you're not going to do that anymore, but you can't erase the things that you've done, can you? When she schooled his face into compassion, shielding Liam from the twinge of pain he had caused. Regret can't undo your actions, that's true. Manchu knew that as well as anyone. Since I got my memory back, I've been thinking of all the awful things I did, and Liam, it's not your fault. You say it's not my fault, but if I'd made some different choices, then things would have turned out pretty differently. That's as close to my fault as makes no difference. When she studied Liam's face, you're doing your penance already, Liam. That's why you're here. I guess, Liam said, but he still looked unconvinced. Sal took a deep breath. There are ways to catch a thief that don't have anything to do with magic, she said. Let's do a little bit of old-fashioned police work. Let's ask a few questions and see if we can figure out your classic motive means opportunity. Who would want those chess pieces anyway? Grace asked. Sal shook her head. If the Swede wants them that badly, somebody else must. That's not strictly true, Grace said. Not everyone has a collector's mindset. But why else would someone take the chess pieces? Sal thought it through. Sometimes a homicide took place not out of any particular hatred, but for the insurance money or to remove a threat. Someone might have taken the chess pieces in an effort to squelch the deal and gain the book for themselves. Was this book in such demand? Let's start knocking on doors, Sal said. She looked around for likely candidates. First, they spoke to the woman with the disturbing kente head wrap. She looked Grace up and down as they approached. A very interesting specimen, she said. I'd give you a fine press for it. Sal's fists balled up. Christ, why is everyone trying to buy her? The woman shrugged. You don't see a weapon like that come along every day. Not a weapon, Sal protested. A human being. Not anymore, the woman said. Grace shrugged. It's accurate enough, she said. I don't mind. Sal cleared her throat and tried to steer back to the matter at hand. Ma'am, who would be interested in the Sexton's Codex? The woman laughed in their faces. Everyone would. But who could steal from under the matress's nose? Help us out. The society could be good allies if you just... The woman shook her head. You want me to help you? So you can burn the Sexton's Codex? It would be a moral imperative to thieve in order to prevent you from obtaining it. Her eyes widened, and she looked around as if afraid the matress might have heard her. Not that anyone would ever steal at the market. Someone would, muttered Sal. Come on, Grace said, tugging at Sal's wrist. We'll get nothing from her. The rest of their investigating went much the same way. The Feathermen sneered and said they deserved whatever happened to them. The Gremlin warned them against angering the Swedish family Povell came from. Nobody had any idea who had taken the chess pieces or even who had the power to do so. Or if they did, they certainly weren't saying. One of the goth kids approached Sal, the young man with pale hair. What do you want for her? He asked, nodding toward Grace. We can give you anything you like. Jewels, self-knowledge, one perfect day. We can erase the memory forever. Sal shuddered, remembering her last market and a time when she had bargained away a memory. No thanks, she said. I've heard that offer before. But do you know, 
Nobody knows anything about those stupid chess pieces, the young man said. And frankly, if you'd asked me before it happened, I would have said nobody would have dared to take them. Povell's family is very... I shouldn't talk out of place. Very what? Grace pressed. Very old, with everything that comes with it. He tossed his bangs out of his eyes. It's really too bad for you, book burners. You're on the wrong side of history. It's almost tragic. Finally, Grace pulled Sal back toward the matress's garden. I have an idea, Grace said, but you're gonna have to trust me. What do you have in mind? We're gonna strike a new bargain after all. The Swede was busy playing at some dice-centered game with a group of bald, sweater-clad people with clammy skin and fish-like eyes. He leaned back when he saw the delegation from Team 3 enter. Did you find my chess pieces? Not yet, Sal said. Grace observed a tightness around her eyes and a carefully staged blankness to her expression. Game face. I'm still wondering if you had something to do with the disappearance yourself. Like, maybe you decided not to hand over the book, but you didn't dare break a contract you signed here. Poval toyed with the dice. That's quite an accusation, he said. From a liar and a deal breaker. What? How can I be sure you ever had the real pieces at all? Poval's gray woman cleared her throat. You've been over this. The maitress said that neither party is- Poval spoke right over her. You're all the same, book burner. I should have known not to do business with you. Someone else will buy the book, there's still time. Or we can just keep it, said his gray-suited accountant or lawyer, or from the look of it, his babysitter. We'll renegotiate the deal, Grace said. This was the part where she had to tread carefully. She did nothing without being painfully aware of the likely results of her actions. And she knew what she was doing here as well. The Swede looked her over, like he had before, like she was a piece of art he was considering buying. And this time, he probably was. We'll add a rider to the contract. Grace swept her hair behind one ear. We get the book, no matter what. You get the stupid chess pieces if we find them. And if we don't, we give you something else. Grace. A look of horror was creeping over Sal's face. But the Swede studied Grace, his smile expanding like a shadow growing longer as the light failed. So, the pet dares to speak for the master. What are you offering, exactly? He asked. You know, this book is very precious to me. A family heirloom. I would not part with it for some worthless trinket dangled in front of my eyes. Grace tipped her chin up in challenge. Me. The Swede laughed out loud. So you do have a prize, after all. A very charming, but the pet is so loyal. The accountant stood up hastily. Sir, she said, be very careful. Last time this book burner was here, she struck a bargain with the network and it destroyed the device. She jabbed a finger towards Sal. The Swede waved her away. It is, he pronounced. Do not insult me, Strom. I am not half so foolish as they. He circled Grace, sniffing her hair. He examined the palms of her hands and her teeth. Very nice, he murmured. What a quaint curiosity. You are. I wonder if that Russian madman ever knew how well he had succeeded. Grace, 
Sal said, her voice edged with nervousness. I can't let you do this. I don't see that you have a choice, Grace said. This is between me and the gentleman here. But Asante wouldn't want you to- I think you'll find Asante's wishes aren't my top priority, Grace answered. You'll also find the Cardinal Fox is very much at peace with my giving my life in order to keep magic out of the world. Maybe this is what giving my life looks like. You're serious, the Swede marveled. How magnificent. Is it a fair price? Grace asked. You or the book? I think it would just about do. The Swede examined his fingernails coyly. If it must. But if we find the chess pieces, you have to take them and not Grace, Sal interjected. We're not changing the deal unless the pieces can't be found. A technicality, but fine. So it shall be. Hovell unfastened the gleaming red collar from around the neck of his stinking bear. What's that? Grace asked, suddenly wary. Call it an escrow account, he purred. This is my way of ensuring that you won't run away from me once staying is inconvenient to you. You don't trust us? Sal demanded. Not especially. He fastened the collar around Grace's neck. It should have been loose around her. The bear's neck must have been five times thicker than her own. But it somehow closed around her tightly, squeezing every inch of skin around her neck. It smelled like snow, but felt hot like a living thing. She could swear it even had a pulse beating against her throat. But maybe that was her own heart pounding against the constriction. The Swede grinned. Don't touch it with your fingers, he said. You wouldn't want it to think that you're trying to take it off. Believe me on this one, you're better off not testing it, even with your endurance for pain. He slid back into his seat, chuckling, and picked up his dice. I can't wait to see how this will play out. Are you okay? Sal asked Grace, subdued. Fine, Grace said. Come on, our business here is done. A bouquet of laughter trailed them out of the room, but Grace couldn't tell whether it was related to them and the deal they'd struck. Probably it was. Despite Povell's warning, she reached toward the collar and felt a sharp jab in her fingertips as if it were covered with invisible needles. He'd been telling the truth. Grace should have expected as much. Don't worry, we'll find the chess pieces. Sal said, her voice reassuring. Grace didn't answer her. The words were meant for Sal's benefit anyway. You didn't have to do this, you know. We could have found another way. I did it. It's done. Grace, Sal put a hand on her shoulder. Are you trying to get away from us, or are you trying to get away from yourself? Because the second one can't work, and from where I sit, it sure as hell looks like you're trying to kill yourself lately. I'm not trying to kill myself, Grace shot back. And even if I were, I'm not sure I could. Poison, guns, knives, what's it to me? I'm indestructible. The only thing that can get me is time. Sal clenched her jaw. You're deflecting, she said. But you can't hide the things you've been doing. I can see right through you. Listen, when I saw that sea serpent eat you, I, I thought you were gone forever, and it made me realize a few things. Grace met her eyes in a challenge. Like what? Like it would really suck if you died. Grace sagged. Feelings welled up in her, a geyser that could no longer be contained or hidden. It was no use. You know, this is all there is for me, she said. I'm never gonna be able to live a normal life. I'll never be able to settle down. All I have is the job. We're looking for a cure, Grace. We're looking, I swear. I brought Asante those candles from the Team Four Quarters, and Francis has poked at you a hundred times, hasn't she? 
After everything we've been through together, how can you not believe in us? It's not you that I don't believe in. No matter how hard you look, you can't guarantee that a cure is even possible. I no longer believe that it is. She reached out and touched Sal's hair gently. You've been good to me, even when I didn't deserve it. So what's the problem? I'm tired, that's all. Tired? Have you ever thought about what it's like for me? The thing that happened in Middle Coombe, that, that was barely three weeks ago by my clock. I've only known you for a few months, at most. I've seen Arturo grow old in the blink of an eye. I've lost so many friends. They've all lived their lives and had families and grown old and died while I stayed the same. I'll always be the same. There is no future for me. Don't say that. I can't bear the thought of seeing Arturo die, or Asante, or you, or even Liam. And I don't want to keep making new friends just to lose them all over again. There's no point in living if it means living past everything. It's going to be fine, Grace. And I'm not going to let you go. Manchu kept a small box in the back of a drawer in his desk. It was placed so that he never needed to see it, and so that he never needed to think about it. He dug for it now. Inside the box were a few scraps of fabric crusted in long, dried blood. It was his own, mingled with that of his congregants from Guatemala so long ago. This relic was all he had left of that past, and he rarely brought it out into the light. Indeed, he rarely thought of it these days. He caressed the remnant. That terrible day would always be with him, but he was no longer that young and naive priest. Everything had changed since then. He had changed. And if he had to cross swords with an angel again, this time he would do better. Asante darkened his doorway. Arturo. Asante, uh, do you need something? His voice was too curt. She grimaced at his tone. I don't, but I thought maybe you do. I've noticed that lately you seem a bit uh, uneasy. Is there something you need to talk to me about? This was his chance. He should tell her about Hana, about the dreams, about how his time in the society suddenly seemed to be a threadbare illusion. Perhaps he was still in Guatemala digging graves. Perhaps this was part of the angel's torment of him. Hana's laughter echoed in his skull. He pressed his knuckles into his eye sockets to silence her. It's nothing I can't handle on my own, he said out loud. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords, so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location, so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Five. Sunset on the third day of the market was a long time coming. Grace and Sal holed up in their room together. Grace bent her head over her book, a secondhand copy of Twilight. She'd left Fifty Shades of Grey on the train. Sal prowled the length of the room, measuring out the 12 steps from the mirror to the window again and again. There has to be something else we can do. We wait. If it's not about the chess pieces, then someone is trying to stop the deal. Now we just need to wait and find out who. You're not even reading. Sal loomed over Grace, hands on her hips. Grace turned her head, her bobbed hair swinging and brushing her chin. No, I'm not. Why did you do it, anyway? Grace looked up, met Sal's eyes. Do what? But she knew. Sal was finally asking the question she'd been diligently avoiding for weeks. Why had Grace asked to be transferred to team one? I thought I'd do better there. Better than what? Better at fighting. More chance to turn every last second into a kick in the teeth to this thing that happened to me. All I want is one exquisite blaze of glory to burn myself out when it counts the most. Is that all? You thought you'd be a better weapon? Isn't that enough? I have all the strength and speed of... I should use it the best I can. Sal took one of Grace's hands and pressed it between both of her own. Grace, you don't have to be strong all the time. Sometimes we can be strong for you. Grace let her hand rest there for ten heartbeats. None of it matters, she said carefully, if we don't find the thief. She felt the collar pulse around her throat. The world disappeared. Light, gone, sound, distant. It was a familiar darkness to be swaddled in. Grace felt something sharp pierce her ribs and up into her heart, a sliver of ice and pain. If she were someone else, even her old self before the candle, she would have died instantly. She burned through the pain, giving herself a supernatural burst of speed. She grabbed for the hand that had wielded the knife, but found nothing. Grace removed the knife from her chest. 
It hurt just as much going out as it had going in, and she felt a gush of blood cascade down her ribs. She coughed, choking a little on something wet gurgling up from her lungs. A thousand miles away, a candle in a small, dark room flared bright and dripped wax onto the floor. Grace breathed in deep and willed her lungs to clear and her arteries to knit together. But she had to stop the would-be killer, too. She swung her foot out in a wide, sweeping roundhouse, hoping to catch the attacker in the stomach or groin. She clung to Sal's hand for balance and to keep careful track of where Sal was in space so she wouldn't hurt her by mistake. Grace's foot connected with something soft, though she heard nothing. Grace pulled away from Sal, pouncing toward her unknown attacker. She shot forward like an artillery shell and tumbled to the ground with a body. She felt teeth on her, or more knives cutting her arms. Feet kicked under her, but only met the air. Grace struck with her fists and with the knife, making up for her inability to see the target with pure ferocity. The light came back. Grace sat astride a woman. Povell's minder, the lady in gray. She was dead. The matress had a search conducted of the woman's room and retrieved the chess pieces that had been stolen. Pavel's family must not have wanted him to sell the book, she murmured. How fortunate that you were able to resolve this matter. They couldn't have just asked him? Perhaps they know him very well and know how ineffective that would have been. Her eyes narrowed. I will have words with them over violating the sanctity of the market. They won't be back here for a generation. They found Povel yet again in an enthusiastic crowd, each peering in turn into something like a kaleidoscope, by turns gasping and laughing at what they saw there. He smirked at Grace as she approached. Are you ready to complete the deal? Bad news, said Sal. Your babysitter is dead, and we have the chess pieces she stole. He turned pale. Strom is dead? She tried to kill me, Grace said. Grandfather's going to be so upset. Povell said. He removed his mirrored sunglasses and stared at them in obvious despair. Sal put up a quelling hand. Give us the book, she said, and we won't hold a grudge. Maybe the maitress will go easier on you, too. The Swede wilted. Fine, he said. He turned and removed one of the knives pinning his pet homunculbear together, then reached into the gap in its belly. The book he pulled out was unremarkable. It was wrapped in a plain vellum binding, yellow and marked by water stains. Sal thought it resembled a stack of legal papers in an accordion folder, more than a legendary demon habitat. Are you sure this is it? She asked. It doesn't seem very, the Swede smiled. His teeth were pearly and impeccably clean. Asante would know it on sight, but I suppose I shouldn't expect any better of an amateur like yourself. Would you like me to read a bit to you for proof? He asked. That won't be necessary, Grace said. She bagged the book carefully, making sure not to touch it with her hands. The Swede watched this procedure with distaste. Barbaric, he said. To think an heirloom of my own illustrious ancestors is being treated in this disrespectful fashion. Don't worry, Sal told him. We'll take very good care of it back at the archives. No Cheeto dust, no coffee rings, nothing. Now, take the collar off of Grace. He did so in silence, then hung it around the bear's neck again. Sal held out the box to him when he was done. And after all that, I sure hope these are worth the trouble. 
The Swede took the box of chess pieces from her, running his long fingers across the inlay of the box. Exquisite, he declared. He inserted them into his bear, then pinned the flap of its belly closed again. Finally, he turned and bowed. Safe travels, book burners, he said. This certainly has been interesting, has it not? Sure, interesting is a good word for it, Sal said. Maybe we'll cross paths again one day. Grace gave him a toothy grin. I'd enjoy that. The Swede sniffed. You're very wasteful, he told Grace. On second thought, I wouldn't have wanted you anyway. Much too used up. I'd rather have a tool that isn't likely to burn itself out on a passing impulse. Stop, Grace said. No, it would have been a terrible deal, the Swede continued. He squinted at her. How much time do you have left, anyway? Surely you know. It would be a trivial calculation. Grace said nothing. You do know, the Swede laughed in triumph. How much time is it? How little? Pleasure doing business, Sal said, leading Grace away. Sal watched the countryside of Northern Europe pass them by. They'd opted to take the earliest train possible, leaving the market at dawn so that Grace could get back to her bed and her candle as soon as possible and not waste a moment more than was necessary. Is it true? Sal asked her at last. Do you know how much time you have left? Grace's face showed no reaction at all. She paused in the middle of scribbling marks in her little notebook. More or less. Sal turned this over and over in her mind. Not the same as knowing the exact date and circumstance of your death, no. But looming mortality did have a way of shaping a person. She thought of a cop she'd worked with, competent, brusque, who'd been given a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer and maybe six months to live. She'd quit her job and raided her retirement to fund a wild trip around the world. The rumor mill said she'd died on a cruise ship. Grace didn't seem the type. Then again, Grace had been trying to make every moment count from the second salad met her. How long, Grace? Grace stiffened, then lowered her pen. Sal, she said, her voice was quiet. Please, how long do you have left? Is it decades or days? Were you ever gonna tell us? Grace leaned forward to take Sal's hand in her own, squeezing tightly. I have the same amount of time as everyone else, she said. Too much and not enough. Manchu worked late his eyes burning and head aching, even though he could have gone home hours before. The work was not pressing. It would still be there for him tomorrow and the next day. Believing it in favor of sleep held no allure. There could be no respite in dreams. Better to work and let tedium chase away the horrors of the past like it had so many times before. He turned the page on a report. It was a courtesy document from Team One compiling their account of what had taken place on the ocean outside of New Zealand. He'd received it thanks to Sal's presence on the mission. He reflected on the young priest he had once been, and how back then this poorly stapled account of battling a hydra would have seemed like much more exciting reading. But now he knew too well what these reports were like. There was a spreadsheet on his current page, cost of travel, cost of meals, cost of accommodations, cost of sundries, blip. 
Another spreadsheet breaking down duty rosters and average hours of sleep for deployed Team One member. Grace's line was blank, except for an asterisk. Flip. A dry-as-dust analysis of situational readiness and how it was affected by new efforts toward interdepartmental cooperation. And she wondered who it was that Cardinal Fox had employed that could make battling monsters and saving the world sound as dull as calculating how much a freight company might spend on new tires in the next fiscal year. Flip. Now the appendices. These were where the important details tended to be hiding, because here were the debriefing interviews. These were the raw transcripts of everyone's accounts of a mission, meant to capture their recollections and impressions as soon and as thoroughly as possible. He riffled the pages looking for Grace's transcript. He missed getting reports from her. They had always made her seem closer, as if she were still awake, just traveling and sending him letters. And being swallowed up by a sea monster had to be interesting to read about, at the very least. And then, the part about the woman with pale eyes, already in the belly of the beast, Hana? Could it be the same Hana? Impossible, and yet the description Grace gave was unerringly identical. If anything, Manchu could hear Hana's voice in his head, her intonation in every syllable she'd spoken to Grace. But how could she have been in two places at once? Then, Manchu remembered that New Zealand and Spain were exactly opposite each other on the globe. He said as much to Liam in Spain, considered that the two events might somehow be connected. Here was the proof. It wasn't possible for the parts of his team to be farther apart and less able to help one another. Hannah had been in both places. Hannah had caused both problems. That couldn't have been a coincidence. Hannah wasn't toying with only him. She was planning something for his whole team, for the whole society, perhaps. Dread ran cold and heavy in his limbs. She wasn't going to stop until she finished whatever exquisite torture she'd had in mind. Whatever that was. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XC Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. 
original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. <laughs>